again to the Corn Belt Symphony with <laughs> our crumb here in the beautiful south of France. Oh, I like that. Hi, John. Hey, Robert. How you doing? It's good to be back. Nice to have you. Thanks for Thank being you. here. Sounds like you're the host now. You're in charge. One, <laughs> well, two, go. Come on. This is my show, dude. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, let's start off the uh, evening with a amusing comedy record that's actually also quite political. Hmm. I don't know if you ever heard this before. It's a comedian from the old days named Willie Howard. Nope. Definitely know. haven't heard that. No? Okay. I think you will find it amusing. Dig it out here. We now take you to Columbus Cycle, where a soapbox orator is haranguing his audience and telling him his idea of how this country should be run. Hey, you. Here, make a circle, make a circle. That's enough, that. don't crowd, don't crowd. Fellow Wakers, the time has arrived. Our cup of bitterness is filled up to the brim. We must throw off the yoke of oppression. They're capitalists. They've been making heels out of us. We have been downtrodden and stamped upon until the mark of O'Sullivan is printed on our faces. Like I'm gonna have a little trouble. Rewolf! Rewolf! I'm calling on all the waking class ass! To rewolf! Hooray! A heckler. You know what a heckler is? No. A stunk with money. You, my comrades, you have slave with the bosses. You have carry heavy burden with the bosses. You have carry heavy stones with the bosses. The bosses as they are carrying stones too, but what kind of stones? Fifteen carat, twenty carat, brilliant shining stones. Hooray! What the hell you holler my ear? If you want to holler, come up here. Get out of here, will you? Oh, get out of here. Who's talking to you? Go ahead and talk. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right there. Mm-hmm. Communist. As I said before... Hooray! Give me a chance, will you? Today, the couples, they are sleeping in silks and satin. They're living in penthouses. They are sleeping in yachts. They're riding around the limousines. They are wearing those hostess dresses, pulled down a zipper and hostess, eating strawberries and cream, extra heavy cream. But comes the revolution, there'll be no silks and satins. Comes the revolution, no limousines. Comes the revolution, no strawberries and cream. Comes the revolution... 
We'll eat strawberries and cream. But I don't like strawberries and cream. That's so. A little yes. too sweet for you. Comes the revolution, you muzzler, you'll eat strawberries and cream. Oh, my gosh. Come the revolution. Yeah. Give me a chance, will you? Give me a chance. <laughs> That's great. What's that called? Comes the Revolution by Willie Howard. Oh, my God. It's from the late 1930s. Unbelievable. Take you now to Columbus Cycle, where yeah. soapbox orator is haranguing his audience. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. It's real comedy. Yep. Let's hear from Phil Baker. You know who he is? Phil Baker. Sounds familiar, but no. Yeah, it's a 20s guy who played accordion and told bad jokes. Oh, huh. No, I guess I don't know. <laughs> like a vaudeville act? It must have been, yeah, it must have been vaudeville. This is called Big Butter and Eggman from the West. Hmm. Hello, folks. My name is Phil Baker. They call me a bad boy from a good family. The fact of the matter is, I'm a good boy. I'm good to my folks. I very seldom go home. This thing I'm playing an accompaniment on is an accordion. Some people call it an Italian lavalier. Sort of a millstone around my neck. But it has its advantages. I'm always invited to parties. Bring him along. He plays. You know the type. The other night, I was invited out to a party by a very beautiful girl. That is, physically, she was perfect. Mentally, extinct. I told her I couldn't go because I was going to see Romeo and Juliet. She says, that's all right, bring them along too. Well, I went up to her house. It was a nice party. Each guest brought his own liquor. I never drank so much water in my life. Had a good time, met her folks. Her father was very well read around the nose, knows everything. And her mother was an exceptionally good cook. She made a new kind of dish I should like you ladies to try sometime. Take a half a loaf of fresh baked bread, soak it in lukewarm water for an hour and a half. It gets good and soggy, or soggy. Then you sprinkle out of salt and pepper and vinegar. <laughs> vinegar. I pronounce all my wheeze with a W. Salt and pepper and vinegar all over the bread. You cover the surface with asparagus tips. Add some garlic, a little Worcestershire sauce, then put it in the oven to bake till it's nice and brown. After it's well baked, you take it out, throw it out of the window, and open a can of salmon. They asked me to entertain, I sang a song about a butter and egg man. A butter and egg man is a man whose wife is always ill and doesn't understand them. Little Broadway roses up and down Broadway With their powdered noses searching for some prey Happy little gold diggers smiling just because They have discovered a brand new Santa Claus they call him Big Butter and Egg Man from the West. You can tell by the butter and eggs right on his vest. Sixty-five, he's a millionaire, the answer to a gold digger's prayer. How he goes for jewels and clothes, the girls take him like Grant took Richmond. He's patriotic with a skirt. Gives and gives and gives until it hurts. Takes the girls out to dinner, but everyone has galloping consumption to eat and run from the big butter and egg man from the West. He's just a great big butter and egg man from the West. Just a great big chump like all the rest. 
What he makes on the chickens that lay in the hay, he spends on the chickens on the gay white way. How he goes for jewels and clothes, the girls take him like bread takes gravy. Oh, how those bimbos lead him on. Home, his name is Bill, but here it's John. He took a girl out riding in his Cadillac. I met him near Jamaica, he was walking back. That big butter and egg man from the West. Ah, that was great once the song kicked in. Yeah, jokes were bad, but, but yeah. musically it was good. Yeah, really good yeah. song. Good singer, good accordion player. He do a lot of records? Or? Yeah, but most of them are no good. That's the best one. Huh. Most of them he tells too many jokes and doesn't play and sing enough. Yeah, when I heard that song, that should have been three quarters of the record. That's right. Yep. Some other novelty items like that that are interesting. Yeah, I'd like to hear some good novelty records. Play a song about masturbation. <laughs> Tanya, there's a song, of, an old song about every sexual act. Yeah, maybe we should just listen to all of those. <laughs> maybe you should play that one you played me the other night about the. Uh, My love began to wane. Yeah. <laughs> the loss of one's manhood. You ever heard Thingamajig by Billy Cullen? Oh, I love that, yeah. You have that? I actually have it. You yeah. do? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But play it, please play it. Yeah, that's boy, that's, that's yeah. interesting. I think I have this because you played it for me. Oh, yeah? And then I found oh. it. Oh. You like this, huh? Oh, I love this stuff, yeah. <laughs> now, Big Bill was a musical host. He played most anything. He built what looked like a musical joke. And he strung it with long strings. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a funny-looking ring. Oh, yeah. And he called it his thing on Well, he said all day and play all way on his thing on Well, he seemed inspired, for he never tired of his thing on And when he would strum it, he got bones from it, so small and yet so big. Why the gals all thrill to see Big Bill playing on that thing on a Oh, baby. 
Moon at Bill's Tattoo when he played it on his thing on a day. He'd wake up nights, nice. or without the light, he'd just start playing all that thing of a dream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot how musically good that is. Yeah, great song. It's, yeah, it's, it's the way they rendered is great. Yeah. That's British? No, it's American. Huh. I am not superior, my friend. The Jeanette. Interesting record uh, by an anonymous black woman singer. No, no one knows who it is. It's on a, one of those party records on a white label. Oh, really? Huh. I have a couple of those. It's a version of Christopher Columbus. Oh, nice. That's what uh, you did in your uh, band? Yeah, we got our inspiration from this record. With the Cheap Suits made our party record of this. Cool. <clears throat> but ours wasn't as good as hers. Fourteen hundred and ninety-two, they go from a telly, was walking down the avenue, selling hot tamales. He knew the world was round, though. Sailors should be round, though. Navigation, excavation, son of a bitch in Lumbo. He went to the Queen of Spain, says, I'll get a ship in cargo. I bet I'll be a son of a bitch if I don't bring back Chicago. The Queen, she put her jewels in her, said, I'll get Columbus started. But she broke out in tears when she stood on the dock. Columbus merely, and he knew the world was round, though. Sailors shook the ground, though. And that's the case, that's the base, son of a bitch, Columbo. Forty days and forty nights, they sailed the broad Atlantic. But the sailors knew if they didn't grow, that they surely would go frantic. On the ship, Columbus had a mutt, and he tied him to the man's pole. But every night at ten o'clock, Columbus jumped up in the river. He knew the world was round, though. Sailors should be ground though, and that's the gate, that's the bait, son of a bitch, Columbo. The sailors died in citizens, with scarlet shirts and collars. But in an hour, body clock, that poor made nine hundred dollars. Columbus, he dived in there too, thought he could pursue her. But the white of an egg went out of lake, from son of a bitch, Columbo. He knew the world was round though. Sailors should be ground though, and that's the gate. That's the son of a big Columbo. Oh, that Went to town, how the crew did cheer as he worked. 
from the rear, old bags of men Columbus. He was months at sea without a humpus. He found the land, 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 school in Lumpus. Hooray, hooray, bro, back government to Columbus. Wow, that was great. Yeah, that's pretty fucking crude. Yeah. Great piano playing. Oh, yeah. Nothing known about that. That bitch be fuck motherfucking crude, dude. <laughs> yeah. But you got to figure, like, how many acts, like, had, you know, songs that were more like that that just yeah. couldn't record them in the, oh, yeah. the label. Nightclubs. Yeah, like yeah. A Red Fox, he specialized in that. Oh, yeah. For years. Kind you of can stuff. imagine what came before him. Yeah. That's, but you look like that even on one of those party records, that grows, you know? That son of a bitch, Columbus. Masturbating, navigating, son of a bitch, Columbus. <laughs> this is a version of the Strawberry Roan. Okay. Who's this by? It doesn't say. It just It's on the fun label. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is really disgusting. Bring on your bad horses, I never saw one. Set me to guess and bother me none. Said he guess again, there's one horse that I own. You might have heard of him, the strawberry roan. Well, I guess we've all heard of that ball bearing stud. He had epizootic and glanders and crud. He's the worst fucking bronco that ever was pulled. He's never been rode and he's 20 years old. Oh, that strawberry roan. How many coats has he thrown? He's got gonorrhea and shankers and sip. He's strictured with clap, but his cock is still stiff. That renegade strawberry roll. Well, the upshot of it was that I found myself hired to snap out some coats at that great studded sired. They were not headed cayuses, just like their dad. With most of them wrongs, but all of them bad. With their feet in my pockets, those bastards did fight. Till my ass drug my tracks out away before night. My balls in my boots and my mouth full of dung. My ears was all scratched where I'd got my spurs hung. Then the boss came in and said, he that's enough. Strawberry Roan's colts are too goddamn tough. I'm plum sick and tired seeing you take them falls. Rope that windmill in stud and we'll cut out his balls. Oh, that strawberry Roan. We went out to unbend his bone. We built a big loop and went in the corral. We roped his front feet and he parted and fell. We flattened that strawberry Roan. Well, the boss held his head while I hogtied his legs. Then I reached for my jackknife and went for his egg. When I opened his bag, why, he let out a moan. And he squealed like a pig when I whittled one stone. But all I could locate was one of his nuts. The other was hidden someplace in his guts. So I rolled up my sleeves and swimming in blood. I frisked for the seed in the guts of that stud. Well, I thought that I'd found it. I felt something pass. But it was only a turd on the way to his ass. Just then I heard one of them blood-curdling squalls. And I looked and the roan had the boss by the ball. Well, I stomped on his head. 
it wasn't no use. He was just like a bulldog, he wouldn't let loose. So I untied his legs and he got to his feet. But the boss's voice changed and I knew he was beat. Oh, that strawberry roll. We advise you to leave him alone. He's a knock-headed coyote with only one ball. But the boss is a unique with no balls at all. Play all of that strawberry roll. Oh, that was incredible. Not, not even really funny. No. Just... just That's cowboy vulgar. humor. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Jeez. Good Lord. Jesus. That was rough. Yeah. Rough humor there. How dare you play that on the old time radio show? What's <laughs> a fun label. Yeah. It's not, not really fun, though, is it? That was great. Well, we've played some records. Maybe we should discuss some topics. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a topic and you discuss it since you're the, you're the star guest. Yes. Okay, so... What is it you wish to discuss with us well, tonight, John? What I'd like to ask you uh, is if you're ready to submit to our alien leaders when they come to this planet uh, uh, to rape our natural resources and enslave us, have you accepted your position and your fate? Well, if they came right out with it and said that's what they were and that's what they were doing and they gave you no choice but to submit, then it's a rhetorical question. On the other hand, if they're already here... And they're already doing it and trying to deceive us and pretend that it's not going on and that, you know, we still have some kind of, you know, freedom of choice in this matter, a free will. That's something else entirely. And you know what? We don't really know. We don't know. There's no way to know. There's no way to prove or disprove whether they're already here and whether they're already raping the planet. True. We don't know. We don't know who's in charge. We really don't. I'm sure there's any way to find out. And if you did find out, they would probably stop you before you were able to, you know, come out publicly and say anything. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. So, are they, are they, is somebody running this show? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe nobody's running this show. So, these uh, matters just really don't uh, concern or bother you? Well, yes, yeah, certainly it concerns me, of course. Oh, okay. Especially as I get older and I've, you know, I've made, proved myself, I've done my thing, you know. So, all that's left really is seeking knowledge. That's all that's left is to try and, like, really figure out what's going on here, you know. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to, you know. So, what, what's going to concern me? What's going to, like, drive me? It's it's that to really figure out what's going on. Well, that's what we'd like to know here. What's and then going on? You get to a point where you kind of start. You can even be afraid that you know too much already. <laughs> you know, and that if you speak out, they will they will definitely kill you. Yeah, it's true. Hmm. If you know too much, and you and you actually get actively involved in trying to reveal it to the larger public, they just might disable you in some way or, you know. Eliminate you. Do something, yeah. Yeah, you don't know. So, and then, and then you can make, become very paranoid and you can start looking for agents of them around every corner, you know. 
who's an agent and who isn't. It's a problem for someone like you, isn't it? It's like, for me, I'm really no threat. But you have a way to... Uh, yeah. I have get clout. Get the message yeah. out to the people. That's right. And, uh, yeah, I've got some clout. Yeah. Think they're watching you? I'm sure they're watching me. I'm sure they're watching me, but I have no evidence that they're watching me, but I can't imagine they wouldn't be. <laughs> right. I think they watch anybody that they think might have some clout in the media and try and, and if you show signs of, you know, coming out with things they don't want known, that they will do something about that. I had a couple incidents that were quite surprised me. Some years ago, when the Berlin Wall came down, I made a remark on the, on a, in a radio interview. Somebody said, well, hey, Robert, what do you think about the Berlin Wall coming down? Isn't that great? And I, being wise-ass contrarian, said, this is like 89. I said, no, no, I think they should put it back up. I don't, I don't think you want like the, the degenerate, decadent capitalist West in there corrupting those innocent people that have been used to like communism and socialism all these years. <laughs> And the next day in the press, there was like I was vilified for saying that in the press, in the, in the paper. I was quite amazed at that, that, you know, they see, oh, I had the power to say something in the media that they really didn't like, you know, something against the, our capitalist system and, you know, almost in favor of communism, you know, in favor of the socialist communist thing. And they really... You know, came down on me for that. Said, told, said I didn't know what I was talking about, and I, I shouldn't say stupid things like that on the radio and in the press. It was right then article. It was really surprising. It wasn't you know headline news, but there was a little thing, a little. Yeah, scary. Yeah, stuff like that happens. The first thing that anybody who says anything against it, the first thing that comes out is, you should never speak against these kinds of things, whether it's. Uh, a new war, you know, we had our last war. That was a big uh, talking point, you know. Freedom of speech and all that is great, but not in these times. Well, if you come up against them openly like that in the media, they will try and discredit you first before they actually, like, kill you or something. They'll first they'll just try and discredit you. Which and, is and pretty they, easy to Yeah, do. they're very good at that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got something in their past they can dig up, you know. And I'm a uh, known nutcase already, you know. Just look, look at my work, you know. It's, well, people don't really respond to what people are saying. So when they come out and say, well, you know, whoever is crazy for saying that, and they say it in a certain tone, people just accept accept it and react to it without even thinking about the the content. Sure. For instance, when this thing happened sure. uh, last year in New York where everyone saw the spaceship. All right. And in the yeah. early interviews were just, mm -hmm. you know, normal people going, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I saw it yeah. right there. You know, we got pictures right. of Broad it. Broad daylight, downtown Manhattan. Yeah. And then by 4 p.m., it was the condescending newscasters talking about it. There was a hot air balloon going by and, you know, these silly people all thought they saw something yeah. else. And Why does the news media feel that it has to, like, cover up a thing like that? What's that about? Why would the news media care whether people saw UFO? It has, it's of no consequence either way. Because the news media is controlled by... What, the reptilians? What? I mean... <laughs> no, by... I mean, the, the government controls the news media. And, yeah? You know, for... Okay, so what's the, what's the point of then of the government ordering the news media or you know, having a general kind of like tacit sort of understanding that the news media should discredit 
a thing like that? Because if they I don't, don't know, it's a good question. I mean, it, I guess it's just a simple fact that whoever uh, in charge, quote unquote, is has contact with these beings doesn't want anybody to know about it. As soon as everyone accepts the fact that they really exist, it would make it a lot harder to cover up. I would guess. Other than that, I I, I don't know. Yeah. What's what's the, what's up? What's up with that? Look, okay. That in that book that I gave you to read and that I read about the the left at Eastgate, and the military was very concerned about this UFO encounter that happened on, a, on an Air Force base, right? Because England. it's a threat to military security, which is an extremely serious business to those people. This military security, and and there was some possibility that they were that these aliens were actually neutralizing these silos full of nuclear weapons on this air force base that they were they people had seen remember when it's these beams some kind of beams being shot down directly into these underground nuclear silos right. of nuclear weapons and that the other thing was that that this was in britain and the british government at the time was kept in in uh, ignorance that the Americans had put these nuclear weapons there. It was kept secret from the British government. So in that situation, the aliens are completely monkey-wrenching the, you know, plans and schemes of the American government. But who knows, you know, what even what layer of truth lies under that? We don't even know. And these witnesses like that, those young airmen that were, the security police airmen that were brought in to, like, you know, control the incident witnessed this high-level commander, air, air base commander, actually come in, stand there, and do some kind of communication with the three aliens. Right. They witnessed that. So what's that about? You know, and then later afterward, he was taken to this underground rooms and, and told this, you know, stuff that this, what was going on. He's actually told what was going on. And told, don't ever speak about it. Yeah, well, yeah, they said, remember this, remember this. But then they, they was threatened. They said, yeah, they speak about it. Bullets are cheap. Bullets. Yeah, bullets are cheap. <laughs> and show weird propaganda films and stuff, like yeah. debriefing sessions. Yeah. All those guys were and, interesting. And that book is so totally cogent and believable. I, I don't, I just can't imagine. Well, it's, you know, there's some minute possibility that it's all made up but the thing that makes that more believable than most of them is just every single account is the same Mm -hmm. you know when they go into the the part i'm it now is where they're reviewing everybody's interviews right yeah all the people who don't want to come out and speak yeah but reviewing their uh interviews and now the the guy who's helping him write the book is you know talking peter robbins yeah, yeah trying to talk to some of these people but whatever they tell them, it's all exactly the same story, you know. What? Why would all these guys make it up? Even the ones who don't want to. Yeah, and for years they they kept it secret. They were afraid because the the military had threatened them. But that one guy, that Larry Warren, just wouldn't shut up. Yeah. And you know that the National Security Agency contacted him and told him to shut up about it. And and then they told him over the phone said, well. If just if you just don't don't talk about the nuclear aspect of it, that's all we care about. We don't want that information to get out. They were very concerned because that was a big secret. 
that there was nuclear stuff installed there in the Air Force Base in Britain. So they didn't seem so concerned about what he said about aliens, cause, probably because they didn't expect anyone to believe him very much. Mm. But they didn't want him talking about those nuclear installations. So, you know, when that whole thing is so strange and mysterious, I don't know what to make of it at all, all that aspect of things. The contact with, with aliens and all that—I I just don't know. So I talked to this guy who wrote to me and wanted to use some Mister Natural drawings in a book he's doing. It's a for um, training for astronauts. And uh, I wrote back. I just finished reading that book, so I was all worked up about the whole thing. So I wrote back and asked him what he knew, what sort of you know experiences or other people that you talk to in the NASA and in the, in the space exploration world about UFOs and aliens. And he back a really interesting letter about that stuff. And he was, you know, I said, I'm completely serious about this. You know, I don't think this stuff is nutty. And he wrote back and he told me some, some really strange stories, some strange stories. Hmm. That stuff he'd heard, you know, in the, among the people in the, in the space exploration technology about encounters with UFOs and aliens and secret levels of government and all that. He, you know, he was well aware of that. It was interesting. But I don't know. No one really knows. He, he recently, he told me that there's a whole new uh, expose about Roswell that just came out recently. I haven't seen it, but you know, I was surprised that he took Roswell seriously because a lot of people ridiculed that whole Roswell thing. It's been made into this, you know, science fiction bullshit movies and stuff, you know, Independence Day and all that crap, you know. But that's, <clears throat> you know, the fact that that has been turned into something that is, you know, borderline comical. Yeah, hokey. Yeah, yeah hokey. Almost makes it impossible that there's not something to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that also makes a lot of people, you know, the hard-nosed pragmatic types, it makes them just utterly dismissive of the whole well, thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole yeah. reason to mm -hmm. try to make light of yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people out there, you start talking about this stuff, they immediately think you are mentally disturbed. Oh, yeah, almost anybody I talk to about this thinks you're insane or, like, either looks at you <laughs> with... You know, a facial expression that tells you, or literally tells you, you should not be talking about this. Yeah, they get and then every once in a while, you talk <coughs> to someone who has some really interesting stories to tell yeah. you about their personal experiences. That's, oh yeah. And, yeah, surprisingly often, and and totally random people, not not the people that that's you right. would think. Yeah, that's right. I've talked to a couple of people who uh, mm -hmm. I work with that you know, just suburban types, straight sports guys with wife and kids, who you know, conservative. <coughs> Told me amazing stories. Yeah, that's right. If you start asking, it's surprising how many people, you know, if, if once they see that you actually take it seriously, yeah. you know, they'll tell you about their experience. Me personally, I've never had any such experience that I'm aware of that I can remember. Nothing. I've never seen a UFO. Nothing. Huh. But you know, I'm somehow I'm still really fascinated by that. I once had an older guy. The father of a friend of ours who was a, a science professor his whole life. 
and I, he was talking about astronomy and stuff like that. And I asked him something about UFOs. And he said to me, Robert, I'm surprised that a person as intelligent as you would spend two seconds speculating about UFOs. <laughs> and I said, well, why is that? He said, there's no way to prove or disprove it. It's just a waste of time to speculate about it. And I had to tell him, I said, I'm, something in me is fascinated by all these fringe unknown things. I'm really drawn to all that stuff, you know. All, even the hokiest stuff like channeling. Like I've, I've read those Seth books. <laughs> They're fucking incredible. If you start reading those books, how did that woman recite that stuff off the top of her head? You know, it's just incredible. And, you know, uh, astral travel, I'm very interested in that. You know, I, th I even kind of played around with that a little bit about 10 years ago and, and actually achieved it a little bit, a little bit of out-of-body experience. And, you know, I, I, for a while I had this pendulum. I met this woman who was into all that paranormal stuff, and she sent me for Christmas this pen, crystal pendulum. And she said, you know, she told me how to work it and everything. And I... I remember Christmas Day, I started fooling around, and it worked right away for me. Right away. It just starts spinning around in my hand. Hmm. <laughs> and so then I got really deep into that, and it became like a, a Ouija board kind of thing where I got involved with the spirit, and it, it went, was so crazy and bizarre and weird. And then finally I, I made a real test of it, and it, it proved completely unreliable, this spirit being. So I kind of broke off communication with it. The spirit, what he was telling you was unreliable? or <clears throat> Well, he was when he was telling me about his personal history, it was just, it was just strange. Yeah, and, I remember you told me about yeah, that. Yeah. And then... And kind of frightening too, you said too, right? It was really creepy. Yeah. It was really creepy. And then I started <clears throat> saying, ask, testing it, testing its veracity, saying, well, can... Can I meet with you? <laughs> can, can I meet you at the coffee house at five o'clock? And he said, yeah. <laughs> so me, you know, it's almost embarrassing to admit. I went down there and waited at the coffee house. And he never showed up, of course. <laughs> so then I went back and said, what's up? Do you know the difference between truth and falsehood? And the answer was no. Huh, interesting. And then I... You didn't see any creepy beans at the coffee shop? No, nothing out of the ordinary. I looked, believe me, I looked. I bet. I eyed every person that came in there. Staring at them. <laughs> <laughs> Probably chased everybody away. But, so then, you know, it. I asked it a bunch of other kind of testing questions like that, and it was unreliable completely. Hmm. And it's all based on yes or no with the... Yeah, that's the tough. pendulum. It must take a long time. It does, yeah, it was long. And then you realize that there's part of you that's emotionally involved in the pendulum, and you can actually Sway will it, it yeah. to say yes or no. You're not actually moving it, but you can actually will it to huh. go yes or no. You know? huh. So you realize that I had gotten too emotionally involved in this thing, and, and in with this tricky spirit, this spirit was a trickster. And I, I read about it later that such spirit beings in this book about, uh, what was it, about theosophy. It was like one of these old theos theosophical books. 
It's all about amateurs getting involved with these kind of things and how you can really get taken in by these trickster spirits. And uh, do you believe anything about like these uh, spirits trying to uh, take advantage of you? Or well, what they really want to do is just they just want to take up your time. Yeah, they want contact. They don't care what it's if you. Act, but the whole time I was asking the being about itself, about its history. It seemed totally authentic. I don't see why I could have invented that out of my own mind. It didn't seem possible. Asking yes or no questions about where it... So did you have a past life in the, in the world? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> was it recently? No. Was it a long time ago? Yes. Was it like a thousand years ago or more? Yes. Was it 1,500 years ago? No. So it's somewhere hmm. in the... Re- area of 500 to 1000 AD and then I asked it did you did you live in the western world no did you live in the east yes and I I narrowed it down to Indonesia what lived in Indonesia and it was a a male a man involved in a priesthood that was practicing human sacrifice human sacrifices and they were because it and I went to this Encyclopedia Britannica out later and read they didn't actually talk about the human sacrifice thing because I think that you know the Indonesians probably don't are they probably covered that up brushed it under the rug long ago but it said that the Indonesians <clears throat> in those days were feared they were seagoing people and they were feared by all the people that lived in all those Southeast Asian peninsula countries Cambodia Vietnam Burma all those places Malaysia these Indonesians were fierce people and they would go and they would in their ships and capture people from all those countries and take them back to Indonesia and have their way with them, do what they, you know, make them slaves or whatever. And this, the spirit beings told me that they used these captured beings as human sacrifices and, and they were young people, young women and young men mostly. And I said, well, did you have sex with them? He said, yes. <laughs> Often, almost every time they... They fuck them before they sacrifice them. Wow. Yeah, so it was like this really decadent evil thing they were doing. And it's possible that this spirit, this entity, this person got stuck in this netherworld because of that, because of that behavior. Huh. And he said he hadn't been in, in the world since then. You know, it's been in that spirit world. And that, that part of it was really interesting but a lot of the other stuff that I asked him about my my personal life or about other things going on in the world, it, it was unreliable. I think my I, I had emotional involvement in other elements of it because I didn't I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it was all new to me, and I you know yeah yeah. And then I quit after that. The last thing I asked him I said, "Am I chopped liver?" And he said, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of that. That wasn't very nice of it. No. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me that, you know, the, the same people that would say, well, you know, Crumb's insane. And, well, I just, a nutcase, you know, I'm just yeah, interested in nutty stuff. That there can't be any, uh, you know, there's no such thing as paranormal activity and that, that aliens couldn't possibly exist and all, all this kind of other, you know, nonsense when it really, like you said, we know nothing about it, but yet, most of these people are the same people that believe Jesus Christ was God's son and 5,000 years ago the earth was created and, you know, dinosaurs never existed and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you consider what people 
believe. Yeah. You know. But then there's like the intellectual people who have a lot of faith in science, in, in modern science. And you were telling me uh, recently all about talking about that. It was really interesting just about how science is almost as bad as religion in well, a way. It's people have so much, such a deep abiding faith in it that, and just like with religion, there's a core of, of truth and, and, and uh, integrity about the ideal of science, you know, okay, um, before you start spouting off about how things work, science says you've got to prove it through experimentation, and it's got to, you've got to be able to do a reproducible experiment so that there's like reproducible evidence of what you're saying. That's, that's a worthy ideal. But the problem with science, like anything else, is the human element, you know? And so people are so ingenious at deception and trickery and chicanery and, and self-delusion that that fucks up science just like it does religion and sociology and political ideals and everything else, you know? So that to have a deep abiding faith in what they call the self-correcting mechanism of science I think in the modern world is highly dangerous and unwarranted, you know, because those scientists, the, their areas of knowledge are so arcane. They have, each one of those areas has its own language that outsiders cannot even penetrate. You can't penetrate virology or physics unless you have a, a very, you know, extensive education and all that. So, you don't know, and what they're doing among themselves, you don't know if they're all crazy or not. They could all be just as nuts as the, you know, medieval bishops and cardinals talking about how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. You know, we just don't know. It could be all completely crazy and delusional. You know, when you start actually delve into any of those areas as an outsider, you can see that they're locked into their own little world, you know, arguing about the Big Bang Theory or... You know, uh, whether a virus can break down the immune system, it's nuts. When you start looking, getting into it, you realize that pe those people are into such an ingrown world, you know. That, it's, again, it's human nature. It's, and they have this deep abiding faith. It, it's, it's very dangerous, just as it was dangerous in, in organized religion or political systems, communism or capitalism or any of it, you know. It's just as... Maybe even more dangerous because science, yeah, they can destroy the planet yeah. <laughs> with their shit. So I just heard today something that was quite shocking. Sophie told me that, you know, this destruction of the coral reefs that's going on. Yeah, I was telling you about that years ago. Yeah. It's insane. So, so I said, these scientists just recently discovered that this element of zinc that's in sunscreen might be one of the things responsible for this destruction of coral reefs. They've been talking about that for 20 years oh, really? or more. Is that when right? When I started snorkeling and diving, the first thing they tell you when you get on the boat is don't take any sunscreen, don't put it on. Oh. They said if you haven't put it on a half hour oh. before you got on the boat, oh, then really? you shouldn't even be in the water. Oh, so this has been known for they, 20 years. Well, that's when I started snorkeling and scuba diving. Yeah. It was probably oh. way before that. Wow. And the destruction wow. of the coral reefs that I've seen in my lifetime is going back to the same reefs is unbelievable. Wow. And, you know, some people think that that will, in fact, be the, the end, end of, of the world. 
Well, the end of the world or the end As of we life in the ocean. Wow. Because you know, yeah. it all starts with that. You yeah, know, the smallest uh, forms of life in the ocean come from those reefs. Yeah, I read something about that recently, yeah. Yeah. That, that the whole I, I told you about that years ago. Uh, you did, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the, you know, the water temperature going up and what's causing it and, you know, it doesn't take much to just end yeah. end those reefs. Mm-hmm. The problem with science, you know, the, is this like political ideas, scientific ideals well, science are is, abused and misused. politically controlled. That's right. We have the, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. That's why everyone's on all these crazy medicine they don't need. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Every other. Yeah, there's big money in it and a lot of power and money and prestige. So, yeah, it's corrupted like everything else. Yeah. But people, modern people, especially people that that fancy themselves intellectuals and, and who have cast off religion, they just dismiss with contempt. Religion is superstition. But at us, science, I, I have this argument all the time with these people and they this unquestioning faith in science, you know, that's really unwarranted. Well, I used to think that way when I was younger, and yeah. I loved science. But well, we've brought up with that, brought yeah. up with that yeah. in modern America. And it, it, it wasn't until the, the last several years, uh, things that I read and saw when I saw how manipulated science yeah. was all throughout yeah. history. Yeah, and it would take some doing to, to uncover that. Bit of knowledge, you know, that takes some doing. You got to really do some studying to come to realize that about science. So, I mean, it's, science is just another human myth. <laughs> well, myth. Spe- okay, speaking of myths, so global warming. One, two, one, two, go. Scientific consensus. When people start talking about scientific consensus, just don't trust it. Don't trust the consensus. I don't. I don't know about global warming. I just don't know. I mean, on the one hand, scientists who come out and say maybe it's not caused by humans, you can't trust them because they might be backed by big oil companies and stuff who stand to benefit from doubt about global warming and they might be paying those guys either directly or indirectly to say to just cast doubt. All you got to, if you cast enough, just doubt, not total like denial, just doubt. That will neutralize a lot of people's will to do anything. So the question is, if, if science is, you know, utterly contaminated. Well, not utterly, you, not utterly. Nothing's but contaminated ever, enough that you can't. I can't uh, trust it. Can't trust it. Yeah. Then how do you find out information just by continuing to, to, to research on your own? In a sense, you, you read books and try to figure out where the people are coming from. And, yeah, you just got to do your own research. Yeah. And there's a lot of information out there. It's just time consuming. And you gotta have the time. Is, is the truth, but yeah. I haven't I haven't really actively researched the global warming thing that in depth because I just don't have time for everything, you know. I've re- researching so much other shit that, you know, I haven't really delved into that one that deeply, mm-hmm. you know. But scientists on you know, both sides of that argument and I don't like it when they start using the word denialist. When they talk about global warming denialists. I'm sure that that some of the scientists who have doubts about the 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 consensus about global warming would resent being called denialists because they probably have serious cogent reasons for having some doubts about that the generally accepted view of global warming. You know, I would I would say that science about weather patterns and stuff again, how much do we really fucking know about weather patterns, especially if 
you know, you can't tell me if it's going to rain this afternoon and, you know. Right. <laughs> On the other hand, we've been belching this right, carbon into the air 24-7 for the last 150 years. That's got to have some effect on the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got to think that's got to do something. And the people who say that it is having effects seems reasonable. You know? It does, yeah. It does. And I'm, I'm all for the precautionary principle. If it's even possible, even 10% possible that we're destroying the planet by, you know, heating up the atmosphere... We should stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the precautionary principle. Okay, you don't have to be 100% sure. There's never going to be 100% certainty. But if there's enough certainty that, or enough reason to think we might be doing that, you know, it's not worth the risk. And we, you know, we can figure out other ways of, of living on this planet. We, you know, we live for a long time on this planet without belching that shit into the air all the time. Think we can continue to live on this planet with the amount of people that we have now? Well, if it never grew beyond this, probably, but it's going to keep growing. That's grow the problem. Exponentially. Yeah. It's been growing exponentially in my lifetime. When I was a kid in the 50s, there were something like two and a half billion people. Now there's almost seven billion, possibly even more than seven billion. That's like almost three times as many when I, as when I was a kid. And that's like, when you think of how long it took to get to two and a half billion, you know, Hundreds of thousands of years. That can't be good. That can't be good. No. Exponential explosion of any population or any anything in the physical world is has to eventually disintegrate the the system. You know, it just blows up the system. It has to start over. So that can't. When that be. happens, it happens quickly. I think. Probably so. Yeah, the exponential thing at some point. Yeah, it gets to a point where it can't go on and then it implodes quickly. But you know, since we're smart and adaptable, we might get control of that. It's possible. I'm not totally pessimistic. We might get control. It might become like the hundredth monkey principle. At a certain point, the collective consciousness is strong enough about it that there's kind of a sea change. You know, there's a whole change in consciousness. Could happen. What do you mean? Like people are going to start... Uh not having babies are going yeah, to start to accept the fact that you can't have a certain number of kids or yeah, everybody two be, people can only have one kid. or Yeah, there'll be enough consciousness of that that, yeah, people will stop having kids. You have a lot of faith in humanity. Well, I don't. Actually. It's a possibility. The other probably more likely You've possibility. You stupid people are yeah. and ignorant and angry. You combine those three things and it doesn't seem like you can really get anything <laughs> done. Another possibility is that by polluting the, the planet and that we will actually lose our ability to reproduce on the level that we have in the past, that we will sterilize ourselves. That's also a prediction that, that's been made, that we're in the process of sterilizing ourselves. They've, people have actually measured the amount of, uh, you know, what's the, the, I forget the names of the, the hormones that have to lead to reproduction, that there's less now than there used to be in the systems of Every mammal, every sentient being, (laughs) frogs, everybody, all their systems have been affected by the chemicals to the point where the whole powers of reproduction are reduced and probably going to get reduced even more and more as time goes on. So that 
it might end up being a situation, there's probably a good science fiction dystopian movie where having kids becomes such a rare thing that's looked upon as a great gift. Oh, we had, so a child was born this year in our town, you know, to be celebrated. <laughs> that could happen. You know, and then children become very precious and parenting and everything will become then much more serious because it'll just be so few people born that actually would be a big improvement. <laughs> now life's just too damn cheap. Humans are, human life is cheap. You know, there's just too many and this, they keep, they keep squirting out too many, you know. So there's, there's not much value on human life. Well, that's you know, a more hopeful scenario than the road, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I like the road. Oh, that was a really like depressing movie. Oh, I could see myself with little Eli pushing a shopping cart down the road and looking out for like dangerous gangs of young men in, in trucks coming up and wanting to eat you. Can you imagine living like that? Oh, horrible, horrifying. The greatest scene in that movie was uh, the house with the, with the bodies, the cannibals. The captured people in the basement all naked and waiting to be eaten. That's the way we'll end up. <laughs> no doubt. No, yeah. we won't. Yeah. No. We'll be gone before that. Yeah. That's good news. Well, I have some very sad news. Really? So time's up? We've come to the end of another edition of the Old Time Radio Show. But 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 I'm not finished talking. I've got a lot more to say. Wait, you can't <laughs> shut me up now. I'm just getting started. Wait. Well, we can do it again. I have uh, one more question for you today. Yeah. Do you have any records uh, that uh, deal with the subject of alien encounters in any way? I don't know of any. Let me think. I do have one. I would love to hear it. I think our fans would too. I think you've probably heard it before. I can't think of what it is. So. The Flying Saucer. It's like a 50s record. The saucers have landed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I was talking about like an old-time record. Like, I'd, re I'd really be curious to know if there was any subject matter. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think there is. There's Come Take a Trip on My Airship. I don't have that one. Huh. And I think that song was an old song inspired by the the bizarre airship sightings of the 1890s. Wow. How come we don't have that record? <laughs> yes. I think it's by some hillbilly artist, does it, in the 20s. Huh. <laughs> Something to look for. And then there's the Fatal Flower Garden. That's a great one. Why don't we end with that? Okay. That is really a spooky record. Yeah. You uh, first played me that record and I believe sent, sent me my first copy when you upgraded. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I, I've since gotten a better copy. Oh yeah, I don't see that uh, on your list. Yeah, I I love this band, Nellstones Hawaiians. <laughs> They're great, and uh, all their records are good. But this one is particularly dark and creepy. Yeah. When it, when you first played it for me, I didn't really get the lyrics. So mm -hmm. people have to listen very closely yeah. to try to get what's going on here. That's but right. a, after a, a couple song. of listens, you get really creeped out by this record. That's right, it's a really creepy song. Rain so hard all day, but 
fall again so high, then again so low. A flower garden, but no one was allowed to go. I stepped the gypsy lady, all dressed in yellow and green. Come in, come in, my pretty little boy, and get your ball again. I won't come in, I shan't come in, without my playmates all. Oh, 